Hello folks, it's time for another wonderful episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. And today's guest is a young man by the name of Ethan Vernon. Now, what can I tell you about Ethan? Well, he's an incredibly promising young pro, riding with Quickstep Alpha Vinyl in the World Tour, but also with Team GB on the track. In fact, he's currently Team Pursuit World Champion, and we chat about how he balances both disciplines. We also have an in-depth chat about his training methods and how they're adjusted daily according to how his body is reacting, which is really interesting stuff. But what you all probably want to hear about is Ethan's initiation into Quickstep, which included doing the worm in a mankini. And you'll have to keep listening to find out what exactly he's on about. So make sure you're wearing some comfortable, preferably wedgie-free clothing. Sit back and relax while we take a trip around a back garden in a go-kart with a pet chimpanzee, because this is the Ethan Vernon episode. You know it's that time again. Podcast. Ethan Vernon enjoyed a hugely successful first season in the World Tour with Quickstep Alpha Vinyl. Not only did he beat Fabio Jakobsen, his teammate, to a town sign sprint, but he won a couple of stages in the Tour of Slovakia and also got his first World Tour victory at the Vuelta Catalunya too. Of course, none of this should come as much of a surprise given his pedigree on the track. He's currently a Team Pursuit World Champion. Now, while I was interested in his comparison between sprint techniques on the track versus on the road, I was more interested in whether he knew how many pigs lived in Barton Le Clay in the year 1086, as recorded by the Doomsday Book. Check it out. Well, 54321, we're actually recording now. Um, Ethan, welcome to Matt Stevens Unplugged. Thank you. It's nice to uh, nice to have nice to be on the uh, on the podcast. Cheers, mate. Uh, for before we get get stuck in, as it were, can you just tell everybody, um, i.e., uh, our listeners, uh, where in the world you are? Uh, I'm currently sat in my lounge in uh, well, just south of Manchester at the moment. So uh, yeah, I've just had my off season and uh, yeah, just uh, just started back training now. So what 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 village are you in? Uh, Macclesfield well uh, uh, oh. it's called Bollington it's a place just just near Macclesfield but I feel like more people will know where Macclesfield is than than Bollington so we'll go with that I, does, does Blythe live in Bollington yeah I live next door to him yeah <laughs> <laughs> seriously you're next door you're, yeah, you're... yeah yeah I'm his new neighbour so I'm not sure how happy he is with that but yeah well that's a uh, bloody hellfire that's I, I I knew that I, I was just double checking. I knew he did live in Bollington, but I didn't know that Ethan Vernon was. I mean, that that's a small world, isn't it? How did that work out? Was well, it just fluke? Yeah, I was moving out of the academy house um, in twenty twenty, and uh, yeah, we were just looking around houses, and uh, I came to this one late on a late on an evening after looking looking at some other properties, and uh, the guy let us into uh, to see the house, and we we got we got chatting, and he said he was good. Uh, he asked me what I did, obviously, and I said um, the cycling, and I was training for the Olympics at the time. And he said his me- his best mate is his neighbour, and he's a really good cyclist. And you know, when people say that, you think, oh yeah, yeah, it's probably just a uh, Sunday Sunday rider. <laughs> and then yeah, got asking about his his best mate, who was his neighbour, and it turns out it was Adam. Yeah, <laughs> flipping excellent. Have you been out on a few spins together then? Yeah, we've been on a couple. Yeah, um, I think it was yeah, it was nearly a year ago. Um, yeah, I went out with him and Jake Stewart, and I don't think he's been out since. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, bless him, Adam, friend of the podcast, of course, uh, friend of the cafe ride. Um, he does love his riding, but again, he's not quite in the shape that he was, but none of us are. So, I mean, I think I think we need to forgive him that. And before we, we wrap up the Adam Blythe um, side of things, uh, what are they like as neighbours? Uh, are they good neighbours, average neighbours, um, awful neighbours, what, what, um, or what's the score? Oh, no, it's pretty good, yeah. Um Oh, you can't ask for a better neighbour than uh, than an ex-pro, can you? So, yeah, good good neighbour to have and good good for advice if I ever need it as well. Fair enough. And, and I know that they've always got a lot of sugar in the house. So if you ever need a cup of sugar, <laughs> um, um, it'll always oblige. Or ketchup. He, um, and also hair products as well. If you, you know, I know you like you got not quite a nice haircut, uh, and Adam's always oh, always you. obliging with any spare products. He's a he's a lovely lad actually. But what no. in, I think that's the first time, Ethan, in podcast history that we've ever had two guests living next door to each other. So yeah. it's a bit of a first. An- yeah. Another victory to add to your multiple victories this year. <laughs> Fourth one of the year, yeah. <laughs> so where, where have you um, we've been out today on, on for a spin? Yeah, I was out with Casper uh, Van Uden, one of the Dutch lads who rides for DSM. Um, 
he's with one of the girls on the uh, track sprint program who lives in Manchester so yeah just showing him around the lanes around here so uh, yeah I had a few hours a few hours this morning I actually saw Adam as well today but out on the bike well he, <laughs> oh, was, in the, he, was, in the, he was in the cafe but yeah all oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it is a lovely part of the world, though, isn't it? I um, spent many many years um, when I was racing, living in Crewe, or just outside oh, yeah, Crewe, yeah. Worcesterson. So, and then when I was in the cops, we um, part of my patch was was where you live, actually. But really? It's, it really is, yeah. I mean, the Bollington and and, and Macclesfield and stuff, Congleton, he- yeah. heading back over to Middlewich. But it's a, a really nice part of the world. You know, there's some really flat roads you can go on, or you can head out into the peaks, can't you? Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's perfect for me at the moment. It's it's perfect because, um, like Bollington, I feel like it's the first village in the Peak District. So it's it's like if I go left, I can do a hilly ride, and if I go right, I can do a flat ride. So for training, it's perfect, and it's right by the airport. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm happy here at the moment, and uh, yeah. The, the team the team often asked me actually. They said, "You sure it's you sure it's good enough for training in uh, in Manchester where you live?" And uh, yeah, I tell them tell them it's fine. But they they live on like the canal in Ghent, and they think it's better than uh, than Bollington. <laughs> I mean, we can't criticise Belgium too much, but uh, but actually, I mean, we we love Belgium. You you are in the the biggest probably the biggest Belgian team in the world, uh, but. Um, I think the northwest of England is underrated, and, I, and I'm and I'm in Derby, so I'm not a million mile. I'm probably as a crow flies, only about fifty mile from you now. Spend, yeah. Doing my podding in my um, my spare room in Derby, yeah, um, the other the other side of the Peak District. But I do love the peaks, um, and it gets as brutal as you make it, though, isn't it? But, exactly. Um, yeah, you can come yeah. away with three thousand meters on a ride if if you wanted to, and yeah, I think the the type of rider I am, I'm not not going to be getting up climbs that are longer than fifteen twenty minutes anyway. So uh, yeah, the climbing here are perfect, and I think. Yeah, if I can get if I can learn to suffer on climbs like this, then um, yeah, I think it. I think it's a it's a good prep for for the season. Definitely. Well, I mean, your your first year at World Tour Level, mate, has been um, it's been a big success, hasn't it? You've got the victories on the road that you just alluded to. You know, you're um, a world champion on the track. So just just looking looking back over this year. Um, how do you feel personally, and and also how have the so two questions? How how do you feel right now, looking back over the year, and how have the team taken to you? Yeah, um, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot better first season than I, I was expecting. Really, um, I was a bit. Um, yeah, I hadn't done much roads as an under twenty three or junior, so um, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I had quite a good year last year with like Lavenir and some other races. Um, so I kind of knew I could go all right, but again, stepping up to World Tour is just like a different level, isn't it? So I had no idea how I'd fare against like the best sprinters in the world. So yeah, I'd set down a goal to win one race by the end of the year. Um, and then, yeah, that win came in Catalonia actually in, when was that? April? May? It was April. in March. Oh, March. Oh, it came, came in March. Um, <laughs> so yeah I think that just helps out the nerves because yeah I'd done my goal for the season in March so yeah I could just really settle and carry on learning and yeah trying different things so yeah that's that's how I I've, I felt the year's gone it, yeah it was a much better than I, I'd anticipated but um, yeah I think when you get one you don't settle for that you don't you don't just think oh that's me done for the year it just it, it just gives you the confidence if anything else but um and then yeah how the team have taken to me I I think for them as well they I don't think they knew what I was yeah I think they didn't know what I was capable of because I had such limited race days the past three years as an under 23 so yeah um I think it was a nice surprise for them but um yeah, the pressure was on from the first training camp in December when I uh, beat Fabio to a town sign. So I think, yeah, they were expecting a lot of me then. But. <laughs> Flipping heck. Well, what, can, can you remember the town sign? Have you gone back and taken a photo of it? <laughs> no, but I'm going back in a few weeks, so uh, I'll try again. But <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Flipping coming heck. back and that dinner, t- uh, that, that dinner that evening, everyone was saying, did you really beat Fabio to the uh, that town sign? Because apparently no one, no one can ever do it. Um, so yeah, I think the DSs were expecting a lot of me after that. <laughs> yeah, you mean you have had a tremendous year, isn't you? I mean, it's uh, as I, I, I wasn't commentating on Catalan, but I, I watched it back. You, you had a, you had already had a fourth into Perpignan, had that brief little foray over into in, into France, and then you finally won stage five. So just while we're talking about that, going into that stage, what was 
Was there a particular plan to look after you for that one? Or, I mean, you were, I mean, looking at the lineup you had, you were the quickest guy. So what was the plan going into that day? Um, so originally I was meant to be doing um, oh, one of the races in Italy that was on at the same time. So it was a last minute change to do Catalonia. And I saw the profiles and I wasn't, I was, uh, I wasn't overly, uh, overly sure that there was going to be many sprint stages because obviously it was really hilly the other stages. Yeah. So I wasn't really sure how to fare coming into them sprint stages. So yeah, I think the team took confidence from the, that stage when I was fourth. Um, so they, yeah, they did look after me then. Um, and then, yeah, they just piled the pressure on me on stage four or five, whenever I won, um, so yeah, it was the longest stage. I think it was 220k or 210k. And it was, yeah, it was a long day. But the team, yeah, they just said, we're going to ride from the start. And yeah, they rode straight away. And yeah, I had uh, Brian Holm in my ear the whole day saying, uh, the pressure's on, Ethan, you got to perform now. As a joke, as a joking way. But uh, yeah, I think piling the pressure on definitely helped uh, <laughs> help me prepare for the uh, for the final. But yeah. Um, yeah, they, they did commit and yeah, the whole team rode the heart out all day. So yeah, I think, yeah, I was I was feeling the pressure, but yeah, I also feel like I performed under the pressure, so. You certainly did. I mean, I mean, it wasn't just a win, was it? I mean, you had another couple of wins later in the year, but a World Tour win in your first year as a pro at that level is massively impressive. And, and clearly, do, do you think, looking back, at your back, at your background, not looking back, but you, you're, you're still a track rider. You, you, you juggle the two, as do a lot of riders, especially British riders. Do you think the way that you've learned to cope with nerves on the track helped you in that situation? Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I still think, to this day, I, I don't think I'm ever as nervous as I am, like walking up to the, the gate in a team pursuit in, in any of the road races, really. So I think the, um, yeah, I think the track just really really helps you to deal with nerves and yeah putting me through the olympic experience when i was what was i 20 um i think yeah really changed how i perceive pressure and and i i guess given the success that you've delivered i mean and also looking at the obviously you guys along with ethan hater uh ollywood and dan bigham you won the world um, beating the Italians, no less. Although it was tight, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. they are not too far behind at all. Yeah. Um, what? How a quick step? Are they more than happy to lay to go and represent the GB team, knowing what you can give back in return? Clearly, you, you that sharpness, that 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 focus, um, and that that underlying strength and speed um, really complements your sprinting. So, is it quite an easy relationship in between the GB team and uh, and quick step? Yeah, it's just balancing the two and working out when the best races are to to do on the track and making sure they don't clash with any of the uh, important road races. So, yeah, it's just the conversations at the start of the year with balancing what I would like to do and what they want me to do. So, um, yeah, like next year, the, the Worlds are at the same time as the Road world, So it's balancing which one we go for. And, yeah, and we're going to go for Euros as well at the start of the year, but... Again, this is out of just well, just as the season's starting, so it's more of an easy way for them to say yes than if it was in the middle of the classics, for example, or um, yeah, another race they want me to do. But yeah, now we're world champions. It's um, it's a bit more yeah important that we go to some of these Euros and Worlds, especially as like now it's looking like we got a really solid chance again for Paris Olympics. Yeah, I was going to say that's I say it's not. It it's kind of on the horizon and it's only um well, it's just two two years out now so yeah not um, even that yeah a year um, and a year and a half yeah of course yeah 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 flipping heck flipping time has rattled on especially with uh, with tokyo being yeah. um being obviously one year one year later so okay it, your debut year um at world tours out of the way what sort of rider do you because you look to me as if uh, you're not an out and out and out sprinter you can sprint very very well quite clearly do you think you're potentially more in the classics mold or do you think or, or do you know fully yet the type of rider that you can you, that you might end up being? I don't really know. Um, they asked me this at the start of the uh, the camp uh, last year, and I said I'm I'm really not sure because right. yeah I enjoy my I enjoy my sprinting, but I think coming from the team pursuit background on the track, I quite like the time trials and I was yeah I was going quite well on the time trials when I was an under twenty three, so I quite like. Yeah, the TTs, the sprinting, not so much the climbing, but yeah, the one-day races. and So yeah, it's a bit un, 
undecided but I think with that prologue win and the sprint stages this year that's what I enjoyed but yeah the type of physique I am I'm never going to be an out and out like big massive powerhouse sprinter so um, yeah and I don't think I need to copy anyone else either I think yeah, I can be my own rider and win sprints like um, um, Pedersen and stuff can as well like you know sure. after a bit of a climb near the end so yeah I think the way the way racing's going now I think you've got to be more that type of rider because there's so many sprint opportunities if you can get over little climbs towards the end of the end of a race that's a good ride and that's a really good comparison of a rider I mean Mads Pedersen he can he can mix it in big bunch sprints but he can also win alone he can he's a pretty hard he's a half decent time trialist and he yeah. can win classics it, although you're you look a little bit different I mean in terms of the results that you've delivered so far are, are the classics something at the back of your mind that you'd like to have a go at at some point because you'd imagine that especially given the team that you're in although it's heavily stacked towards the classics you, you, you could argue that in terms of the cobble classics um, there might be a few more opportunities than in the Ardennes classics for example yeah I think so yeah and it's just it's learning again I, I haven't had any I haven't even done the under 23 ones so I've, I, right, I, I, there's lots of like yeah climbs that they all talk about that are in all the classics that to be honest I haven't even like really ridden um, <laughs> obviously watch them on TV but yeah like experience wise is really limited but yeah I want to be obviously the team is so strong in the in the main classics but yeah I want to be in a position where I'm winning maybe the smaller classics first and then proving my worth to step up into the main the main team and classics but yeah I think with the team I'm in it's obviously a lot harder to make the A team for uh, yeah the big classics than it is in some of the other teams but um, yeah I'd rather it be this way and, and we'll earn and get some results in the smaller ones first and then feel like I'm ready to be riding like Wevelgum and all that stuff so and what's it like I mean going back to the start of the year when, when you look at the lineup for for quick step it's pretty it's pretty impressive isn't it you know and um were you were you a little bit daunted by that or were you more inspired by that or, or was it halfway between the mix I mean you, you clearly didn't you weren't afraid to get stuck in beating Jakobsen straight off the bat for a town sign a lot of riders might have just backed off a little bit but you're clearly completely unafraid um, but what was it like going into that team and riding with the world champion of course Julian you, you had Mark, Mark Cavendish there as well as Remco yeah. and, and, and the rest was how did that just describe as best you can what the first camp was like and then, and then ultimately the first race riding in that really iconic kit yeah I think um, yeah it was quite nerve wracking you got all these big names like the three biggest names in cycling really um, all in your team and you sat with them at dinner and but yeah the more and more the races went on the more and more you felt like you knew them and uh, yeah you felt more like at home but yeah I think um, after my initiation when I was making seal noises in a mankini on the beach in Calpe. I think I, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think I felt a bit more comfortable around them when I was just on, in, uh, in normal clothes, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, going to have to pick you up on that, Ethan. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that a lot of teams do have initiation ceremonies. It's quite normal, very traditional, but um, in a mankini making seal noises in, on Calpe Beach, how did that come about? Was that in the middle of the day? Was it after a night out? And, and who whose idea was that? We had a... Um, well, we were just up in one of the bars of the hotel and um, we had to start off with karaoke, which was probably my worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I was, I was voted the worst on that. So I, 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 it wasn't off to a good start. So I, I had to make up in the uh, seal races on the beach in my mankini. Um, but yeah, it was just yeah, a bit of drinking and uh, uh, yeah, we were in a mankini and tied up and we had to race along the beach with our hands and legs tied up um, as seals so literally you had to you had to move you so, so you, your, your hands and feet were bound and yeah. you were in a mankini and you had yeah. to basically do do like a seal action and you had to race yeah. across the beach yeah oh, get, that's amazing to get a drink and then someone poured a drink down us and then we had to go back so yeah oh, it, it was quite a rough one it lasted a good couple of hours as well so it was a real torture but I'm looking forward to uh Next next week when I get to uh, get to watch the uh, new lads, so <laughs> we've well, got that experience now. But again, it didn't it certainly didn't deter you. I mean, uh, your results uh, certainly speak for themselves. But just looking at the team more more broadly, it is um, you know uh, Mr. Pat Lefebvre has run the team for the you know twenty five years odd now, and it's a team that whoever seems to 
line up for them. Whether it's a big transfer that comes in, they generally always succeed. And I was just looking back through the the, the results of the squad. I mean, I mean, was it 45, 46 wins ultimately? But mm-hmm. I think 14 or 15 riders ended up winning races. So it's not just one or two stars. There's clearly, and I have spoken to other riders and interviewed them about the team, but what do you think's, think makes that difference? I mean, you scored three of those wins, but you wing it across the board. Whatever race they, they, they ride, they generally, there's no race that they're just riding, is there? There's always a plan to at least get, take something from a race, even if a stage race, for example, doesn't necessarily suit them overall. There seems to be a real winning mentality. What do you think that is? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, well, obviously they're called the Wolf Pack, but when you join in, you see how, how much of a close-knit like family it is with staff and riders. Um, I do think that helps a lot. And yeah, like you say, everyone gets an opportunity. And to, for me to go to them as a Neo Pro and, win three races and been given like multiple opportunities I think is is quite rare so I think the way that they do it compared to other teams allows a lot more riders to yeah to have their opportunity and to to prove their worth but um yeah we've got such a a broad range of different riders from like sprinters to climbers and stuff so yeah every stage we our meetings are always about how we're going to win that stage and um look after GC or if, if that's the case or if not then just how we're going to win that stage whereas yeah I think other teams have a different mentality where they just protect one guy and hope he wins the overall or stuff but yeah we, we just get stuck into each stage in a in a stage race and if the GC works out then yeah it works out but um, yeah I just think yeah that mentality of attacking each day as if it's a one day race um, really really works over a season for for, um, for stage wins and you know just at the start you you were talking about the step up to world tour and that there are more and more young riders now even although you spent a little bit of time in the under 23 ranks you're still a um, under 24 well, under 23 is just you're still only 22 years of age but you did you didn't come straight from junior but increasingly the conversation about the landscape of the, of our sport on the on the men's side of it is is these riders coming in and and performing at the highest level straight away, and clearly for you to have won a world tour race and, and two other and two other um, stages as well this year, um, would you say that maybe the transition isn't as big just because the standard is that high in, in the under twenty three ranks so far? Because you know that there's a few that struggle, but generally you know, the riders that pick for the world tour teams seemingly I wouldn't say it's a seamless transition, but maybe it isn't quite the step up that it used to be because the standard is is really, really high in the junior ranks under the, the under 23 now. Yeah, I think it's getting earlier and earlier and like the access to information and like knowledge about training and altitude and all this stuff is yeah happening earlier and earlier. So yeah, um, I think that's changing in that respect that you've got younger guys doing more hours when they're, yeah, well, skip, even skipping school to do more hours and training at altitude. So like developments happen a lot earlier. Um, but yeah, like you said, the under twenty three category is pretty um, is pretty much the same as as World Tour really. And when you go to races like Lavernier and stuff, if you can win there, you're basically racing against guys that are already professional that are still doing under twenty three races. You see, this year there must have been ten or fifteen guys at Lavernier that were already that had already turned professional. So yeah, if you're not professional and you're racing against them guys, you know that if you're up, up with them then you're at that you're at that level already um, yeah yeah so what about your I, I'm, I'm intrigued because although I'm in touch with the sport what I don't have a deep knowledge of because I'm, I'm not a coach it's just the training that, that you guys can you just give us a, a typical idea because a lot of our listeners will know um, about training and a lot won't because I was on the I was doing the Zwift Academy the other day um, and were there with the Canyon SRAM team and also with the Alberson Phoenix team. And um, I was watching some of the riders on their phones receive changes from their training plan and say, well, rather than doing this, I'm doing that today. So can you just explain a little bit about how how you're coached and how it works um, in terms of that exchange of information? Because it, it's just a fascinating subject. Um, of, of, of what, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know that much about so can you just explain how it works between you and your coach yeah so um we we use training peaks and he my coach just sets um all my sessions on training peaks and then we just communicate literally via whatsapp after each session and yeah my coach is really on it there'll be there'll be times where i haven't even taken my shoes off yet and he's uh 
sent me a message to ask how it is and uh, sent a detailed Excel sheet of all my efforts um, taken out of my training peaks file and on an Excel sheet wow. literally within minutes of uh, coming home. So that's how we kind of tend to tend to work is we upload onto there and he analyzes it and sends me a WhatsApp and yeah, if there's any changes to the plan, we we discuss it after each session. But at this time of year, it's a lot more, um, there's a lot more flexibility to do what you like if you're doing an hour less or an hour more or it's on your mountain bike or on your road bike it's a lot more um you got a lot more yeah freedom to do what you like but yeah when you get into the race season it's very very rigid and yeah the plan literally does just change off how that session the day before has gone so if today didn't go well then tomorrow could could change just just off my feedback from today so yeah that's why uh yeah constant feedback is uh is really good and I think British Cycling have taught us well with that we used to get uh, almost punished if we didn't upload our comments to Training Peaks when we were on Academy so yeah we've been brought up quite well through the British Cycling Academy um, system to provide detailed feedback after each session but I do think it's really useful because if you're not feeling good or you have a bad session and you leave it a few days you could put yourself in a quite a big hole before your coach even knows about it and then you're almost too late to to do something about it then yeah it, i mean it has to be one of the one of the reasons why we're seeing these i mean one of the many reasons alongside you know nutrition there i mean aerodynamics is separate is a separate yeah. thing in terms of actual speed but we're clearly understanding how how to react to um to training demands and to workload, aren't we? Which is previously, although riders would have coaches, you'd have a pretty much of a set plan. And a lot of it would be on feel. We wouldn't have power data, for example. Um, you might have a little bit of heart rate data, but it was relied on on the honesty of the rider's feedback. And, and when you're younger, what I tended to do was if I wasn't going well, I'd, I would train even harder. Yeah. Um, and, and dig myself into a hole but and c- clearly that's happening less and less because yeah. the information is there you've got all these this really deep set of metrics and the, ima- the amount of metrics available now is even more isn't it it's increasing yeah. year on but year it, it, even like our um, we, we're sponsored by Garmin and we have the Garmin watch that they give us and the data hmm. on that is incredible like we can upload some of that data to our training peaks and um, yeah they can predict like potential like illnesses before they even before they receive an illness like they can tell right. you that yeah you're going to get ill if you carry on doing this or, and like stuff like that is so so valuable you know if you can knock it off to not get ill then you save you save yourself in in the week's time of yeah of getting ill and yeah, that's extra training days as well at the end of you add them up at the end of the year and yeah if you're training right and not getting ill you can add what, another 10 15 training days it to your year and yeah it can make quite a difference and, and of course there's the actually if you don't mind ask me asking who who is your coach is it internally or is it an external coach you oh no it's in, it's internal it's through quick step so it's the same coach um cav has okay okay oh the other oh, greek chap yeah 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 he's um yeah I, yeah i know cav has had a very very successful relationship with him hasn't yeah he? so it's yeah cav had said to me um before well not before I joined but when I joined to to have um to have him because yeah he's really good and he, he's a really different to the other um coaches in the team from from the other riders I've spoken to um his training's quite a bit different but yeah the the way he trains us I, I really like so yeah and, and what's if you don't mind me asking what's different is are you, are you trying new things is it slightly unorthodox is it stuff you've not yeah it's just random before? stuff that you think yeah. oh that's that's interesting um very much tradition it's just like long hours do this and do that but yeah some of the different sessions i've i remember sending him a picture and i had notes on my stem and it literally was my whole top tube of efforts um <laughs> but they were just random like, even just like random numbers like one was three minutes and 12 seconds and you know just stuff like that you're like uh it's so specific but yeah um yeah <laughs> yeah just lot, lots of efforts and yeah no i i enjoy i enjoy what he does and i think hopefully it steps up again this year because obviously i was a neo pro last year it was my first year so some of the stuff i didn't i didn't do all the like wacky sessions he had so yeah i mean <clears throat> i mean looking at i mean your, your results and, and looking at the um your age I mean you are going to keep developing for the next for the next few years and as long as you as, as long as you want to that that must be quite exciting and I, I don't know whether you've felt that over the last few years especially going from junior to senior a couple of years then moving into the world tour um, although I <clears throat> didn't have the sort of 
access to training like you have, I did go into the winter and come out the other side at, at your age, feeling almost like a different person um, because you do that. There's the, you're, physio- you're physiologically changing um, until you get to a certain point, and, and you're, you're, you're you might even look ever so slightly different, you know, at the age you are now, and that's. Are you, are you conscious of that? Do you, do, have you felt over the last couple of years coming into the new season, have you felt a little bit different about yourself? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, this is my, only my first proper year, so I think mm. in in future winters, I'll I'll see more of a difference and uh, yeah, see more of a trend of how I am in the winters as opposed to how I start the year. But yeah, even now, this, this off season feels, well, this like winter period feels different than last. And um, yeah, I'm interested to see how I come out in February but yeah I'm looking forward to it and the work's going well now so yeah we'll, we'll see that's good mate that's good and just sticking with the uh, your team theme you did you who did you who was the first person and I want you to rate them actually I'm going to really put them who was the first teammate that you roomed with um, and so your first stage race was you or Yeetor who did you room with there um, I think it was Morkov I was put with in UAE and that was that was good. Uh, I was I was really happy I got put with him because, I mean, we came back from stage one, and he was straight on his iPad researching stage two, and he sat there for about three hours watching, and like looking at the wow. velo viewer of the next stage <clears> and <throat> making notes of where he was dropping Mark off and where we all needed to be, but to to like firsthand see that and be with someone in a room that goes to that much detail. Um, was yeah a real like eye opener and of like what level of detail that the team really goes into um, for for yeah for the for the leadouts. Um, That's incredible. That's really really. I mean, I, I didn't expect that question to elicit that. I was going to ask you next who is the rider that you look to the most because because you've got so much experience on that team. It's incredible. But you know, M- Michael Morkov is a, is a chap actually. I need to get him on the podcast because yeah. I know him reasonably well. But what an amazing! He just seems to, what is he late thirties now? Yeah, he's just getting better and better and better and smarter and smarter. And to, and for you to see that, and, and ultimately the following day he delivered Mark to the wind, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, Mark. I mean, it, I I think as well as Michael's involvement in that particular sprint, the way that Mark wove his way through was one of his best ever wins. Okay, yeah. it's not a tour stage win, but he, he beat Phillips and Ackerson, DeMar, you know, Olaf yeah. Co- you know, it was yeah. an amazing win, wasn't it? Yeah, that was real, because that was my first, well, first team win. Uh, I, was, I think it was my first race, actually, yeah. It was my first race and first team win with Cav, and it was like, it was, yeah, it was pretty surreal that you'd been part of this lead out that, to develop to uh, to lead Cav out to to win, um, so that was in itself was a win for me. Just uh, yeah. just helping Cav win win a stage, and yeah, he was so like grateful. Even though it was yeah, he's won tour stages and so all this, um, he was just so grateful of all the help that we gave him for for this UAE stage win. But yeah, yeah, to see to see Markov and Cav finish it off was uh, yeah really good. But and on that particular day, because that was that was stage two. Um, and obviously, you'd seen you know Michael pouring over the the internet and trying to get as much detail as he can. Um, what was what was your role going into that stage then? I know it wasn't your own win, but I mean to deliver Mark to win amongst that sort of company, as you said, was very satisfying. But what role did you play on that day? Um, I think I was like third or fourth in line. They weren't sure right. what I was capable of in in the uh, in the final, so. Sure. I was more of an uh, engine on the straight flat road leading into... There was, I think there was a corner of 1.2k to go. So our our goal was to lead... I think someone was in front of Morkov and it was to leave M3 into that corner first. So uh, a few of us were just chopping off on that straight road. But I mean, I thought... In my head, I was like, oh, I can just... Coming from the track, I'll have more power over a couple of minutes than some of these boys. But yeah, I was quite wrong. I, uh, <laughs> I hit the front and it's like, oh, I've only got... Uh, 30 seconds or so here until I uh, have to change so yeah we it was it was a uh, yeah an eye opener but then to see Cav win was pretty pretty special um, but yeah it was it was nice to be be a part of it and obviously it wasn't the main reason he won but it, if 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 we didn't do that then he might not have been in the position to, to win so um, yeah oh totally I think that's what's great about Mark isn't it and, and any of the sprinters who uh, ultimately the first things they do generally is 
is acknowledge the importance of the teammate and, and the level of sprinting now. Um, if you don't have riders look after you, look after you, unless you're one of those riders that can really freestyle, it's going to be hard. Yeah. It, it, I mean, even if you're a name like Mark Cavendish, so he, and he'll admit that he, he needs teammates to do it. But that yeah. I mean, that must uh, have been I, I think so UAE, satisfying. I think UAE, especially with like the big long straight roads and the highway, yeah. highway finishes. I think that's when it's really important. Of like, you almost go back to your old traditional leadouts of like seven men wide, uh, seven teams wide, and yeah, seven men deep. It's like um like the old school uh, lead outs in some of the other races that's changed I think a bit um, just that yeah that the style of racing's changed isn't it um, oh, totally. but yeah you, I think UAE is one of the only places or well, one of the only races I've done this year anyway where it's just been like a big drag race between all, all the all the world tour teams yeah and, and what's again look, looking back at the year uh, and you, you've got your new training camp coming up what, what's what's your biggest thing that you've learned about yourself I mean if actually what's the biggest lesson you've learned not not the thing you've learned about what thing you've thought ah I've got, I've got that wrong or I need to do this um, is there anything that you've thought ah this I didn't expect this uh, that's come as a um, bit of a surprise should I say I don't I don't know I'd say um, lesson wise it's probably sprinting technique I've never yeah okay I've never thought about um, like my technique or my I have thought about my gearing, but not that, not into that much detail. And then I won the stage of uh, Catalonia and I was like receiving feedback on my sprint about how I could do it better. And I almost thought, oh, cause I won. I must've been in the right gear. I must've done this right. I must've done that right. But it was almost the opposite. It was like, oh, if you'd have done this, you'd have gone faster. And if you, <laughs> if you were more solid upper body wise, you'd have done this. And I think that almost took me back that I'd never thought about my technique sprinting and that to get to receive feedback like that when I just won my first world tour stage was a uh, but again it's not really it, yeah it's like yeah that's my biggest lesson but it's not it's not a negative it's like you've won in a way that's not optimal so yeah it's only it's only like constructive criticism which yeah you'd rather hear than nothing um, oh t- totally and that really is really I, I think it just it just shows again how just like winning a bike race, think oh, job done. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's far from it. And you you can win a, a bike race by the skin of your teeth. Also, sometimes luck become is is involved. But um, so what actually, if you don't mind me asking, Ethan, because you're you're a sli- you're a slightly taller sprinter, aren't you? Yeah, you, you are more of a. I mean, what are you? Six foot two. Something yeah, like six that? two. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you're quite you're quite tall, but it's slim of slim build. So. What what was the criticism and what have you what did you take away from that and think yeah bloody hell because you know sp- sprinting on a bike I was obviously never a sprinter but when you ask you're asked to sprint you don't think about technique do you no you, you just you think just, you just think you give everything yeah, and you're like, exactly everything goes to your legs and nothing else yeah yeah so, so so what have you what have you taken from that and and how have you I mean you won another sprint stage one. Uh, in in Slovakia, off the back of the prologue in the jersey, and that was pretty pretty special. Yeah. But what? So, are you now thinking about sprinting differently, or is it, or are you training differently? So, so what little it, tweaks have you applied? It's really di- so. I think I'd picked up some stuff from. Obviously, I'd come from a track background, and I think I almost copied my track sprint over to the road. Um, okay. there, there was some sprints where I was like sitting down in a spinny gear and stuff. You know, like in a points race you'd start the build up like lapping after go and then you'd sit down and it'd be a big seated sprint and obviously you're on a, a set gear and you couldn't change gear um yep. and i don't know if that was almost just like built into me and I, yeah there was some sprints i was doing where i was sitting down after five seconds and in, in a really spinny gear um i found this out in the early classics actually um yeah i think about i'd, I'd come fifth in one of the I can't remember what classic it was. It was, a, it was a semi-classic and I'd come fifth. And I think everyone, I'd, I'd like five or six messages saying, um, did you have a mechanical in the sprint? Because they thought I was stuck right. in, a, in a really small gear. Um, but that just felt natural to me. And I think coming from the track, yeah, you just pick up, you, yeah, the sprinting is a bit different. So ju- I was just trying to make a conscious effort of, um, yeah, I'm obviously quite tall. So, and I've learned aero-wise with, especially with having down the team about the differences of, uh like frontal area so um yeah yeah it's it's really hard to think about this thing where when you're like 1k to go in a bike race the last thing you think you want to think about is your position or you you you're like your body position because yeah 
you're so concentrated on being in the, the right position and being on the right wheel and um, when you're going to start your sprint there's like a hundred things going on in your head you don't want that extra thing but I think it's one of them things that I want to sort now because you it's like muscle memory isn't it you once you once you learn how to do it you just you, it just becomes natural then um, yeah but yeah, I think the more the more and more sprints I do, the more opportunities I have to to try stuff. But um, yeah, I just don't want it to get into a bad habit now. Um, That's yeah. really really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yours. I mean, I've watched a few of your sprints. Um, I commentated on a few actually. Tour of Denmark, where you were sprinting, you got I think a third on a stage in Denmark. Yeah. But you, you you remind me a little bit of. Rob Hales, because he used to sprint. I mean, that, that's no a bad comparison. I mean, he yeah, wasn't yeah. As, as successful a sprinter as you are, but he could win bunch sprints. Mm-hmm. Sat down, yeah, <laughs> uh, um, because it, but it, but it was basically how he'd win pursuits or how he'd win points races. He'd just yeah. wind it up, and nobody could come around him. Yeah, ra- rather than like high speed and then a jump into out into the wind. It was yeah. just this gradual build up rather than a sudden like 500 watt increase from what you're doing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they are two very, very different things, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it, it's really weird to think about it. And if you were to do the, the other way onto the track, you never see anyone winning a uh, scratch race or a points race standing up at the line, do you lunging? It's like, no, um, not at all. But then on the roads, yeah, you see some people sit down at the finish, but a lot of the time people are still stood up right to the right to the line so it's like it's almost two different sprints and trying to yeah trying to learn um trying to learn the road the roadway now so um yeah i think that's the yeah that's the biggest lesson but yeah with like i said with time that'll uh that'll sort that's itself out it's, it's going to be very exciting i mean do you know i guess you won't know much about your program just yet you've got a rough idea what you're going to be doing or have you or will you be taking some ideas to the ds's or will it be uh, will it be is it like a pretty much a two-way process do you think i think so in? yeah like last year i had no idea of like what races were like or um so yeah last year it was all just kind of one way like you're doing this you're doing that um but i think this year i've i've said to them the track races i'd like to do and yeah they haven't come back with a plan yet i think february is a bit undecided with the team um so yeah i think hopefully it's a two-way conversation and um, there's some races I really like last year I'd like to do again and um, maybe some other races like uh, what was the one in Switzerland Romandy Romandy yeah yeah I wasn't a big fan of that um, <laughs> it's so, pretty it's yeah normally bad weather and super hilly Romandy yeah isn't it? yeah yeah so yeah I, I did suffer there I came straight from the track actually so that wasn't a great prep um, I'd, I was in the Glasgow Nations Cup actually and I think I had the elimination on the Sunday and I was meant to have a week off after um, so I'd, oh, I'd booked to, I'd booked to uh, go to Cyprus I think for a few days just to get some sun and then they rung me that Sunday night and said you need to come straight to Romandy we've had an, an illness so I flew straight from that Glasgow Nations Cup into Romandy for six days or whatever it was and oh, yeah I got, got a bit of a battering but um thing is that's the very nature isn't it there's the order of training there's the there's having your calendar but bottom line is in a, in a pro cycling team if there's there's always going to be illness injury oh yeah and especially um, recently with like the covid and stuff i think course. i must have had five or six races changed last year um yeah and i don't know what it was like before because it was my first year but yeah i think that took me back almost like you constantly just got to be when you're at home on your phone ready and expecting a call to go to a race you weren't down to do and then miss one and and i think unless you're you're like fabio and you're targeting one specific race at like the tour um it's really hard to train specifically for one race it's almost like you've just got to constantly constantly be ready and you're sent to sent to wherever um but yeah that's that's not that's no bad thing either when we were emailing about you joining me on the pod i was asking you about your hometown and your first reply was bedfordshire yeah um, and then more specifically i asked you where you where you the, the town of the village you brought up in that was barton le clay and yeah. and i think you finished off your email exchange with me i, I better get revising so i <laughs> yeah, hope you, you have been revising because oh, <laughs> it's time for the barton le clay quiz oh great <laughs> yo yo what's up you're ready uh-huh. let's do it Ta-ta, turn off your phone that's right get your thinking cap on yeah yeah it's time what time time for the- Barton Leclay quiz. So, no expense spared in the production of this podcast. Again, uh, every week that is Niall's high point. Um, so, you were born and raised in Barton Leclay? Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> yeah. well, no, as, as long as I'd known Foth, I was uh, I was born and raised in a village n- near it called Sosa, like a, a village okay. town. But for, as long as I know, I've been in Barton Lickley. Okay, fair enough. Well, um, did you uh, be honest with me? Did you do any revision? No, I might be doing no. some now. But yeah. <laughs> if you could just ch- turn off Wikipedia, Wikipedia must. I can't actually see you. Obviously, this is an audio-only no, podcast. No, it's, but I do, it's, I do it's trust you. It's down now. Don't worry. Good, good stuff. Right. Okay. So we've got four questions, right. um, and they're multiple choice. All right. So no stress. If you don't know the answer, just guess. Okay. <laughs> and, and if I'm feeling particularly generous, I might even give you a one of those options that you get on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Okay. Um, phone a friend. Phone a friend. I mean, you could if you got. I mean, we could actually do that if you wanted to. Um, but we'll, or we could, or we could sort of go fifty-fifty, something like that. Yeah. So, okay. question number one. Okay. Um, right. Question one. What is the name of the bouncy castle hire company on the Barton Industrial Estate, to, just to the northwest of the town? <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, oh. It could, yes, actually, it, Niles just said you could get, you could go next door and ask Adam. <laughs> so, good point. Anyway, I mean, I, but again, so what is the name of the Bouncy Castle Hire Company on the Barton Industrial Estate just to the northwest of the town? Is it A, Bouncers of Barton, B, Bounce Unlimited, C, Bounce Bounce Limited, or D, Bounce Tastic of Barton? Uh. Uh, A? Bouncers uh, of Barton yeah. is the wrong answer. It oh. is Bounce Unlimited. Oh. Um, I did test I did test this quiz on my wife, and obviously she, she hadn't even heard of Barton, <laughs> and she got that one wrong as well. Uh, she she went for Bounce Bounce Limited. Uh, it is Bounce Unlimited. Um, bounce yeah, just unlimited. to the northwest of the town. For all of you, say if you have a, I know you, you come back for the summer and you want a bit of a barbecue in the back garden, I'm sure Adam would go halves with you uh, to hire a, a bouncy castle from those guys. And uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm in no way affiliated with Bounce Unlimited of Barton Leclay. <laughs> so uh, that's... No questions right so far, but it's early days. Okay, I'm just gonna, my my handwriting is absolutely atrocious. So here we go, right. Barton Clay, as you know, Ethan, from um, hopefully from revising a bit, yeah. um, has existed since at least 1066 and was mentioned in the very famous Doomsday Book. Now, in the entry for Barton in that book, um, an inventory was taken of the land, the people, plows, and the livestock Okay, so the Doomsday Book basically did an inventory of, of everything throughout the country. Mm-hmm. My question to you was how many pigs were noted? So they noted how many plows there were, how many people, um, the, the hectares of land, but how many pigs were in Barton the Clay in around 1066, as per the Doomsday Book? Was it A, 100 pigs, B, 200 pigs, C, 300 pigs, or D, 400 pigs. Uh, so, um, two, uh, 200. I'll go for the middle one. Or oh, was that the middle? Um, it's kind of, yeah. Um, correct, Mondo, mate. Good. I mean, uh, do you have um, farmers in your family? That was a cracking answer. No, we've got a bit of land, but they're not farmers. They rent a field to a farmer. But yeah. They rent a field to a farmer? Yeah, oh, so right. the, the house is on like a big bit of land. Um, so the house is like. My parents' is my parents' house, yeah, is like on a big bit of land, but they're not farmers, so they rent it to a farmer. But that was done before they moved there, and I think they just kept that going um, when they moved in. And but, if you don't mind me asking, something, I'm quite into farming. What <laughs> what is it? Just arable land? Is it dairy? Uh, oh, wheat? Just, I think it's just arable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't arable. know much arable land. Yeah, great word, arable, isn't it? I yeah. don't know what. I, I think it's just. I think it's just general farmland, isn't it? Arable. It can be used for anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's not get too technical. <laughs> I can um, ask for you. So question. Yeah. Yeah, th- uh, yeah. Thank you. So you basically at the moment you have got fifty percent right. So you have got one out of two questions right. So it's a reasonable start. That's good. Um, so we move on now to question number three. Okay. Now just to the southwest of the town is. The Sharpenhoe Clappers, which is an ancient Iron Age hill fort. Oh, okay. that's my uh, Strava um, hill rep thing. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. So the, the Sharpenhoe Clappers, yeah. So my question to you, I'm, I'm glad you know the area. Um, what does Clappers refer to? 
Okay, so it's the Sharp and Ho Clappers, ancient Iron Age fort. I don't think there's much of the fort left. It's more of a hill, isn't it? Yeah. But what does the Clappers refer to? Is it A, the chalk grasslands nearby? Is it B, a medieval traditional monk dance? Is it C, referring to rabbit warrens? Or is it D, the ancient beech tree forest which sits nearby? Rabbit warrens, C. I know that one. Correct. Good knowledge. <laughs> oh, nice one, mate. So, did you actually know that? Yeah. Well, from uh, it rung a bell when you said it. I can. I wouldn't have told you without the without the options. But I remember looking it up. I mean, I've spent hours on that hill when I was younger, just riding up and down. So. <laughs> <laughs> so is it is it a fair old dig then? Is it a bit of a climb? Because it's, it's it's not. You're heading towards the the, uh, the Chilterns and out that way, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I think that's one of the climbs, like on the on the edge of the Chilterns. But it's probably where my parents live is just literally pan flat, and that's like one of the two or three only climbs. So if I wanted to do, a, well, I'm only talking two two and a half minutes, but it's good ten percent or so. It's quite steep. That's a good effort, yeah. Okay, well, but as, well, as under sixteen, that was that was all you needed. <laughs> Can you remember what your, your time was? No. No. Um, okay, that was. I was going to give you a bonus point, but uh, no worries. Yeah. So so far, you're doing very very well indeed. I can't work it out from a percentage perspective. I guess it's thirty three percent. No, sixty six point six recurring. 60, it is 66.6% reoccurring, which is, I think that'll get you a pass in most exams. But we're moving on to question number four, which is the final question in the Barton Leclay quiz. Good job so far, mate. Um, I like to use cycling analogies. I think you'd be in a breakaway with about a three and a half minute lead with a tailwind <laughs> at the moment. So you're doing well, mate. Only, only 20 k's to go, so it's, it's, it's nailed on. This is so, for the win, is it, this one? This, this is for the win, but it's quite a technical question. Oh. You're really going to have to think hard on this one. Okay. Barton's Fish and Chip Shop uh, of Barton Le Clay is situated at 28 Bedford Road. Okay, now my question to you, Ethan, is how much do, does a battered cod cost, not including chips? <laughs> okay, so at the Barton's Fish and Chip Shop, how much is a battered cod, not including chips? Is it A, £5.90, B, £6.20, C, £6.40, D, £6.55? Um, I don't know. I, I'd Jordan? say five five ninety. I, I haven't been there for years. Have you eaten some fish and chips there though? No, chicken nuggets and chips. Chicken nuggets and chips. <laughs> I think I think I, I last had one when I was like twelve years old or something. It's still there. We'll go the cheapest option. You're going to go the cheapest option. Yeah. Um, or. You can do two things. I mean, I don't know if Adam's in. You could either call Adam, but he won't know. Um, or you could go, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go 50-50. I'll go 50-50 then. I'll get an okay. idea. Right then. So it's, I've taken out £5.90. Oh, there you go. And I've taken out £6.55. So you've got two, two options now. B, £6.20. Or C, £6.40. For a battered cod, not including chips. Um... I'd have to go the next cheapest, 620. 620 is your final answer, yeah? It's going to be wrong, isn't it? But <laughs> It's incorrect. It's £6.40. Oh, oh mate. Breaks break oh, but, <laughs> but I tell you what, though, um, this is you can redeem yourself because I've, I've got as a bonus question uh, which could get you that point back. Yeah. How much to the nearest 20 pence is a portion of mushy peas? Um... I've got no. I've got a guess. There's no uh, option. Yeah, just a guess. I know, because but I'm going to give you to the nearest twenty peas and thinking of you know the little small polystyrene tubs of mushy peas. Yeah. They're not very big. Um, you know, taking into account things aren't cheap these days with inflation. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. A, actually, you're not going to do because I, you, it's, it's been a great chat so far. I'm going to give you a buffer either side of thirty p. Okay. So I, I, I would have said when I got them they'd have been about a pound, but with inflation we'll go with one pound fifty. Correct to Mondo, it's one pounds forty. So you, you, I gave you a buffer of thirty. That gives you a bonus point. So nice. you got seventy-five percent in the Barton Lickley quiz. Well done. <laughs> My parents will be happy of, with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's giving a round of applause. Superb stuff. Yeah, we, it's, it's incredible. We get, we get this small renter crowd shipped in just for the end of the quiz, and now they're all going home. They're not even going to listen to the end of the quiz, mate. So I think that's pretty good. Um, in terms of, I think that roughly, but we haven't done a league. I think from now on, me and I will do a spreadsheet of, 
of who who does who does particularly well. But I think that's going to put you well into the top twenty five percent of quizzes on the hometown quiz. So <laughs> so well done, mate. Um, no, and there's quite a broad variety of questions. And as I say, um, if you do ever pop to Barton Le Clay uh, Bounce Unlimited for a bouncy castle, um, let us know. Send some pictures. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep a uh, I'll keep a note of it. Maybe for my fiftieth or something. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, were you a big were you a fan of bouncy castles back in the day when you were a kid? Um, I can't really remember. I I remember. I think my sister had something, and it was like, it wasn't like a bounce. It mustn't have been through them, but it was like a gladiator thing, and it was like she had all of her friends around. You'd stand on two like pillar things, and like you'd whack each other with a rod, and it was whoever <laughs> stayed up the longest one. That but, sounds great. But I mean, we're talking like when I was ten years old, so I, I wouldn't have remembered the company name. <laughs> No, no, not at all. But I, I think I do know. I think I do know what you mean. I mean, if 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 money were no object and you had a big back garden and you were to uh, say say for your for your twenty fifth birthday, for example, what would you go for? What would Ethan Vernon go for in terms of outdoor activities apart from apart from drinks? If you had to have an outdoor in your back garden, money was no object. What would you go for, mate? Do you say for now? Like if I was this age, yeah. Just now, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for your next birthday, and you've got you a quick set of giving you a few weeks off. It's like just you know, um, hire something in the back garden. What would you go for? Oh, um, if I had time, I'd build like a big go kart circuit. Um, oh, right. I, I I wouldn't. You couldn't buy that, but I'd, you'd build it with tarmac, a big bit of land, and design a course, and just get a load of mates around and just race in the go karts. It does sound like it could be good fun, actually. <laughs> so from no, uh, so I. I yeah, I, I I used to do uh, yeah when I was younger I did I used to do BMX racing so anything like adrenaline and fast speed and stuff like that I like so yeah that, that just just racing and yeah yeah <laughs> no that does make a lot of sense because I know you um, you're doing this podcast on a gaming computer aren't you um, yeah. so are you quite a bit you're quite big into gaming then mate mm, no oh well I. Uh, I was listening to Fred's one actually that you did with Fred, and he said the same. Oh yeah. During lockdown, I uh, I uh, was playing quite a bit of Call of Duty. I was one of the guys he was playing with. Um, oh right, okay. But no, I I got this because yeah, when I was at home, I used to play quite a bit. But I thought with all the travelling and stuff I do, and there's so many days when on camps when you got nothing to do and after races, so I thought I'll t- I'll get a gaming laptop and uh, I can play play my game on it. So. Yeah, I just take it to my races with me and uh, and play. That's fair because it's it, you do need a little bit of an escape from it, especially. I mean, it's all consuming when you're a professional cyclist, isn't it? Especially given um, the feed, the constant feedback and fine tuning that you're getting to make sure that you're in in the right mental and and, and physical shape. So, so uh, aside from your gaming out on the road, mate, what? Is there anything else that you like to immerse yourself in uh, to to escape from the world of cycling briefly, or, or or are you more than happy just living and breathing cycling all of the time? No, it's uh, when I'm back. There's yeah, I quite like I quite like my walking actually. I think where I live, yeah. it's uh, it helps helps itself to some nice walks. But I think yeah, just getting some you get enough fresh air when you're riding. But to get out of the house and you know like a rest day instead of just being in all day, I quite like to go for a walk and yeah, just watch watch films uh play play yeah play on the laptop but yeah yeah there's not not loads of things but um yeah i do i mean walking is is i I think walking you know ethan is is completely underrated i i I really got back in i mean i walk around i mean that's the way that i generally transport myself you know we all do (laughs) we 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 all do that don't we but i think um walking is something that i've i've got more into lockdown i did a lot of walking because that's all we could pretty much do (laughs) apart from apart from riding on zwift and stuff so um no um, i i think like on a rest day if if i'm not riding or yeah, it's like this time of year where it's a bit flexible to do other things. I, yeah, I enjoy my walking and yeah, because we're right on the edge of the Peak District, there's some lovely walks you can do. Um, and yeah, well, my girlfriend actually signed up to. Uh, it's called borrow my doggy, because we don't oh, have, yeah. we don't have a dog, so we uh, we now borrow someone's dog and we take it for a walk. So. Oh, yeah. that's very cool. <laughs> so it gives them a. Ch- oh, that's uh, so. So uh, have you ever borrowed an absolute horror of a dog that's been a nightmare? <laughs> We we had a we've had a couple we got we got one that comes quite a bit but he, he's right. he's all right he's a bit he's a bit barky but he uh, 
yeah, he's he's all right most of the time. But it's it's a good idea. I like the principle that we don't. Well, she's I'm, my girlfriend's looking for like jobs at the moment, um, and I'm obviously away a lot with the racing. So I think to get a dog's not not right at this time. Uh, but we obviously like the principle of get, having one to walk and do some of these walks with. So people list their dog. It's almost like a Tinder thing for dogs. We swipe on the ones we want. <laughs> and, uh, so basically, so he's called Rent My Doggy and you basically borrow go on my this doggy, app. Yeah. You, borrow My Doggy, sorry, Rent My Doggy. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, like that. Yeah, borrowing is better. Renting it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, renting, yeah. yeah. We don't oh, rent it. Okay. But yeah, so no. this person that we borrow it off is quite busy with her work. So when she's like flat out of her work, she asks us if we can look after him and uh, she drops him round and we have him for the day, take him for a walk and then feed him and she'll come back sometime in the evening to pick him up that's quite nice yeah. I, she, I like the idea of having a just doing that with a dog and not having the hassle of of having it as well because me and my wife we we'd like a dog at some point but yeah. we're both away a lot for exact same yeah. reasons yeah, yeah, so, yeah. although we haven't we haven't borrowed a dog um <laughs> but i um i think we might try and we might download download the app try this it, afternoon. yeah it's good yeah. it's it's a good idea um yeah you help quite a lot of people out and there's quite a few like older couples on there as well some some that have got dogs and obviously can't walk for for obvious reasons that are yeah that are yeah. older so yeah i think it, it works two ways it helps you out and it helps them out so we, we we did end up having it for like a week at one point though when they went on holiday so i think we uh we became like its owners for a bit but <laughs> you didn't get to it uh, that's the danger isn't it if they're a particularly nice animal you get a little bit attached i know yeah. that's the only thing yeah well the yeah. owner said that someone else looks after the same dog so there must be a couple of people that walk this dog and they said that they've got a picture of this dog in their house so not even their own dog so the, yeah, <laughs> they, they've become really attached to someone else's Blimey. dog that's quite serious mate isn't it so yeah yeah we're not yeah. we're not that attached we just uh, no, we just I, I kind, mean, uh, if there's any bit of advice that I'd, that I'd give from this pod it is just don't get attached to somebody else's dog mate <laughs> end, end, end tears. Oh, oh sorry mate we've got oh random question What's, alert oh no random question alert random question alert it is time for a random question so, just to explain, sorry about that, mate. Um, <laughs> as part of my contractual obligations um, to Sigma Sports, uh, they've installed an old supercomputer super in my office. And every now and again, uh, even in the middle of the night sometimes, it just fires out random questions. I've never seen this question before, um, and it's a short one, but it's in relation to pets. So, continuing the dog theme, but without dogs. Um, would you rather have a pet chicken I mean, I don't think they've very t tried very hard with this one, but anyway, um, but it's a computer after all. Would you rather have a pet chicken or a pet chimpanzee? Oh, a chimpanzee, I think. They're quite cool, aren't they? They are quite cool. I've seen a but load they, on, they... Uh, on TikTok recently. <laughs> I've seen some that, like, take people's phones and take pictures of, like, selfies and stuff. It's quite cool. Well, first off, what would you call your chimpanzee? Um... What do you reckon? I don't know what's a good name for a chimpanzee. He's quite a cheeky character, quite a cheeky character. Yeah. Intelligent, cheeky chimpanzee. Um, <laughs> not very imaginative <laughs> names. I'd just go like Chris or something. Chris. Okay. <laughs> so we've got Chris. Chris the Chris chimpanzee. The chimpanzee. Yeah, yeah, just... Can you imagine? Oh, blimey, the, the audience love, the audience <laughs> have absolutely love that. <laughs> Can you imagine though? If you did get your wish and you know you built a go kart circuit and you could have Chris the chimp race like and even like Cav came down um, at Blythe yeah and you had Chris racing Cav and Blythe on go karts in your back garden yeah. you could teach the chimpanzee how to drive imagine that yeah that would be cool or or it could be uh, the flagman and wave the flag at the end I could picture him doing that actually that'd be quite uh, quite cool tell you what it's been what a pleasurable pod um, we, we we're well over an hour I mean we talked about um, yeah your, your your amazing year, um, what's to come, and also a lot of random stuff. And, and well, and well done the quiz. But first and foremost, mate, thanks, thanks for coming on the on the podcast. What, what, one, one last question. What are you most looking forward to for twenty twenty three, mate? Um, I think just I haven't got one set thing, but I think the idea of well, I, I'd like to do a, a grand tour. So I think yeah. I really look forward to hopefully trying to get selection for for a grand tour um but yeah it would just be great to step up to that level and see 
see what happens with my career after I've I've ridden one as well. Um, but yeah, just keep keep developing off this year and hopefully hopefully have a uh, a few more wins. So no, I'm I'm really looking forward to the year now. Now I know what to expect and like what the race calendar looks like. I think you yeah you have a much greater idea of your busy periods and yeah like potential like parts of the season which really suit you and and stuff so yeah yeah i'm excited brilliant stuff mate well it's been an absolute pleasure wish, i wish you all the very best uh say hello to adam yeah um, <laughs> when you see him yeah. and um hopefully our paths will cross they certainly will mate our, yeah, our yeah. paths will cross next season at some point mate. Yeah. you take care of thank yourself. you thank you for having me on I have to say, that was a hugely enjoyable chat with Ethan. Who knew? So, <laughs> we'll leave this in. Who knew he lived next door to Adam Blythe? Anyway, what a great guy. And as you can imagine, his career will continue to bring him and his teams a lot of success. That is for sure. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, follow and rate the pod. And maybe give it a little review if you feel like it. And why not recommend it to anybody who might be peckish in Barton the Clay with £6.40 in their pocket who fancies eating some fish but not chips. Next week we're taking a rest week in Podland but get yourself over to the Sigma Sports YouTube channel because we're launching a brand new cafe ride featuring another young Ethan. Who could it be? Head over to my Instagram to find out. You don't want to miss that one, folks. Now, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com or you can leave a message or a voice note on our whatsapp burner phone the number is as follows plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight and finally a massive thanks again to ethan for joining us on the podcast today best of luck to him in the off season and i hope that 2023 is a real cracker for him too cheers all stay safe and goodbye